0: Welcome back to episode one of the Critical Care Scenarios <laughs> podcast. Uh, I am Brandon Odo, here with Brian Bowling. Hello. Uh, all right, Brian, listen. You are in the ICU. Okay. Uh, it's about 9 at night. It's uh, You're on the night shift. And you get a call from the emergency department, and they say, listen, uh, I got this 65-year-old male down here. Um, he's got a history of coronary artery disease, disease. Um, pretty poorly controlled diabetes. His last A1c was like 11 or 12. Uh, Hypothyroidism, hypertension. Uh, A little bit obese. He came in with about a day of finger pain. Uh, Yesterday all of a sudden there was no trauma or anything he knows about. The third digit on his left hand started to really hurt him. And he kinda put off coming in because he wasn't sure about payment but finally it was just too bad so he showed up this evening. And I'll tell you the finger looks pretty bad. It's, it's swollen, it's kind of dusky, uh, there's some bullae on it, um, and I'm actually worried about like a necrotizing fasciitis. Um, so, you know, I've got him on some vancomycin and zocin, it's a tazobactam and um, and I'm, I'm just thinking maybe he should come to the ICU to be monitored. So, Brian, what are, you, what are your kind of first thoughts here? Any other information you want, things you want to get rolling here?
1: Yeah, so um, have we done basic labs like uh, CBC, BMP? Uh, yeah, like
0: so that. they sent kind of a, a usual panel. Um, the salient points that you kind of notice, um, there's a leukocytosis, the white count's about 20. The H&H is unremarkable. The, the lactate is elevated at 3.5.
1: Um, there's
0: a, a little bit of renal insufficiency. You don't know about the, kind of the chronicity of it, but the creatinine's 2.1, uh, BUN's about 30.
1: Okay. Uh, any electrolyte abnormalities?
0: It all looks pretty unremarkable. Uh, sodium is normal.
1: Potassium's all right. Okay. All right. Have we done any imaging of the hand?
0: There's nothing yet. The ER the, doc says you know I was thinking of um, maybe getting a like a CT
1: of the hand. Okay. Um, I would start with just getting plain films of the hand. All right. So they can shoot those for you. Anything else? Any fever?
0: Yeah. You know he came in with a temp of. Um, 37.9 centigrade. Uh, he said he's been having maybe subjective fevers at home as well.
1: Okay. All right. Um, you could uh, send blood cultures as well.
0: Yep. So they, they did a couple uh, blood okay. cultures already. They've got a, a sort of sepsis process down there. So everyone who sneezes in the waiting room gets cultures sent.
1: Sure. Sure. All right. Uh, okay. Um, well, I think the next thing is I would want to come and look at him. Um, and see see for myself what, what this looks like. Sure, yeah, rather than this game of telephone.
0: So you pop sure. down to the ER, and you set eyes upon this person, and he looks kind of much as build. He's a, a somewhat overweight adult male. He's not in a terrible amount of distress. He looks a little unhappy to be here, but he's awake and alert. Um, and you take a look at his hand, and indeed his, the middle finger on his left hand is is very kind of dusky and dark, almost purple in appearance. Um, it's clearly swollen. There's a couple of bullae on it, which are not ruptured. Um, there's swelling extends maybe up as far as the hand, although not as bad. And there's at least maybe some lighter rash on the arm itself. Um, he's able to move the finger just barely, and when you move it passively, it has a, a lot of pain. You can't really appreciate any capillary refill or anything because there's so much rash. Um, his vitals, um, you know, he's a little bit tachycardic. It looks sinus about a hundred, one o five his pressures are are soft um if if you enjoy that word his systolic is uh 85 90 his diastolic's maybe 50 55 his maps right now are oh about 60. anything else you're looking for now
1: all right so uh pain sort of out of proportion with what uh what you can observe um tender to palpation
0: yeah the whole finger is is tender they, you know they come back with those those films you wanted and um, you know radiology hasn't looked at it yet but to you it just it looks like a finger
1: okay no air of you don't really spells. see any
0: air under the skin there now no. okay. what are you thinking about with that
1: so um, if if we're thinking about necrotizing soft tissue infection um, sometimes you'll see subcutaneous air in the fascia on the plain film um, but it, if I'm remembering right it's not super sensitive okay um, CT imaging is probably better but if this is if we're really concerned about um, necrotizing infection we probably don't need to delay things I would go ahead and call um, my surgical colleagues to come look at it okay um, so
0: you call um, who I guess whoever's covering hand surgery for you yeah um, so uh, a resident from, uh, it's probably the plastic surgery folks, comes down and looks at them, and he goes, ooh, look at that hand. And uh, he calls his attending, and they go back and forth a little, and he comes back and says, all right, um, you know, uh, my attending is, is doing something. They're going to come by in uh, maybe three hours or so and take a look.
1: Okay. Um, So history on this guy I can't remember what you said Any history of trauma?
0: No, it just seems like it spontaneously started to hurt him about a day ago
1: Okay And any weird exposures, like has he been in the water? Has he been traveling?
0: No, he's just been kind of puttering around at home
1: Okay All right. well um, I don't know I think I would just sort of monitor it at this point Um, I I am keen to see what the more experienced surgeons think of it Okay Um,
0: so the, um, the ER doc comes and says, well, you know, it's, like I said, um, what do you want to do? You want to just bring him up to the ICU now?
1: Um, yeah, probably uh, if he's starting to look septic at all, uh, if this is a necrotizing soft tissue infection, those things get bad fast. Um, and so I don't know that I want to leave him in the ED and I don't know that I want to put him on the floor. Uh, I want somebody to keep a close eye on it. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's probably a good idea just to bring him on up to the ICU.
0: Okay, so you roll him up there and the nurses get him settled and then the bedside nurse comes and says so what do you want to do? Um, his map is 55 right now. He, otherwise he looks kind of as he has but you want you want some fluids, you want to think about a presser. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, maybe we'll start with a fluid bolus. Like give him 500 to a liter of LR and see how he responds to that. I'm not too worked up about 55 um, as long as he's still mentating and he's making urine and everything. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, okay. Now, uh, you have a a uh, med student in the ER who was able to dig through his history a little bit. And he does say, you know, he does have uh, a known cardiomyopathy. His last known ejection fraction was about 50%. There's um, grade one diastolic failure. Is that change your fluid approach at all?
1: Um, No, I don't think so. I mean, f- you said 50%?
0: Yeah, that was the last one. That was yeah, six months ago.
1: That's not too bad. I might uh, just throw an echo probe on him real quick and see if that's appreciably different now
0: okay so Um, you you take a look at his heart and um you know his lv function looks like it's mildly depressed you think about consistent with 50 ish um his rv looks grossly okay um the if you're an ivc person it's eh, maybe between one and two centimeters and slightly collapsing with respiration
1: okay uh, yeah, I think I would still give him give him the fluid. I mean, we don't have to like slam it to him. But. Sure. All
0: right, so you give him a liter. Um, his map drifts up to about sixty or so, and then it starts to drift down as well. So you get about a. a a couple hours in here, and he's starting to look a little more sick. His pressures have been trending down some more. He's kind of looking more like low 50s now, and he's looking just a little bit more sleepy. And you think that the rash is spreading as well. Um, it's not completely obvious, but the finger looks more swollen, and the area of kind of duskiness seems to have moved up his hand.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so at this point, I think he's he's starting to look more and more septic. Um, I would probably... Um, so he's on Vank Zosin, you said?
0: Yeah, that's what they started down there.
1: Okay. I think that's seems fair until we get anything back. Um, I, I would probably put an art line in, in him at this point, um, start trending his lactates. Um, still not too concerned about this pressure, but maybe, um, just continue to sort of give him boluses of fluid, um, as needed okay so you um, yeah.
0: you give him another bolus and he doesn't really respond to that one um now he's uh, maps are like in the 40s he's uh, looks like he's a little bit out of it. it his heart rate's up in the 120s or so um he, and you get a call from from surgery and they say uh 30 minutes Attending's going to be here and they, they actually want to take him down to the or and explore this finger
1: yeah so all right, so yeah, so I think that's I think that's probably what he needs to have done. In the meantime, if his maps are drifting down and he's not responding anymore to fluids, I would go ahead and put him on a little norepinephrine. Um, probably go ahead and put a line in him.
0: Okay. Um, so is, you you have let's say we have, you have do you have thirty minutes? Um, are you going to try to get a central line in in that time? Um, or would you would you hold up surgery for that?
1: No, I would not hold up surgery. <laughs> If he looks like somebody that I could put a line in pretty quick, I would go ahead and do that, Uh, but I would not want to delay surgery.
0: Okay. All right. So, you, um, once everything is said and done, you're kind of tight on time. So, you end up running a little bit of peripheral presser, and he goes down to the OR. You're not sure how it's going to go. I mean, it's a finger, but it looked kind of bad. Who knows? But they come back an hour, hour and a half later, and the surgery team says, well, you know, um, we opened up the finger and it, it did you know look consistent with a necrotizing infection we got down to the fascia there was this kind of dishwatery drainage and you know sloughing of tissue um, so we debrided everything we could i think we kind of got everything so they didn't do anything proximal to the finger um, but they closed it up they put a drain in and they left him intubated and they brought him back they don't have any specific surgical requests on all that they just to keep an eye on the finger and they may go back in in a day or two so he comes back, um, he's still on a low dose of, um, oh, they had him on phenylephrine down there. Uh, are you a weight-based presser dosing kind of guy? I am. All right, well, he's on oh, 30 mics of Neo. And uh, he comes back up, and what are, your, what are your plans right now? First of all, um, do you want to extubate him?
1: Um, how late in the day is it?
0: Yeah, at this point, it's almost midnight.
1: So probably not. Uh, right. I'm not a big fan of extubating people late in the day. Okay. Uh, unless they've just been intubated solely for procedure, which you could argue this guy was intubated mm-hmm. solely for procedure, but he was sort of headed that way anyway. I think mm-hmm. he was starting to get sickly, uh, so I think I'd like to in- leave him intubated overnight.
0: Okay. Um, what is your yeah? What's your hemodynamic plan here? Again, you're on a low pre- dose of a pressor. um, You've given some fluid. Let's say you. They're kind of dialing up this phenylephrine they had him on. Do you want to continue that, switch it, add something else, more fluid?
1: So I would probably switch him to norepinephrine.
0: Okay. Is that just kind of your, your go-to for most of these patients?
1: Yeah. I think it's for sepsis, it's shown to have um, really good benefit. Um, phenylephrine I don't really find is a super helpful drug except in push doses or the odd, you know, I need to push somebody's map, say, for a head injury. Um, without a whole lot of other effects kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I tend not to run phenylephrine drips on people.
0: Okay. All right. So let's see. Over the next hour, maybe, uh, he looks relatively stable. But then the nurse calls you back and they say, listen, um, we had him on the norepinephrine, but we've been going up and we've actually maxed out whatever your unit maximum is. Now what are you thinking?
1: Uh, so he's still hypotensive, max on norepi. He's not responding to volume anymore. Um, I would probably add a little vasopressin.
0: Okay. What sort of dose?
1: Probably start at 0.02. Okay.
0: Now, do you use that for most patients, or do you have a little
1: bit of a scale? Uh, As far as dosing for vasopressin? So, yeah, usually 0.02, 0.03 is sort of where I start to 0.04. I will go up beyond that if needed, but uh, that's sort of kind of general. That's interesting, because
0: for me, usually I'll do 0.04 and just keep it Mm -hmm. there. Every once in a while, I'll titrate it down later as a kind of quasi wean but i think most people are somewhere in that range right maybe 0.02 yeah. to 0.04 ish
1: yeah
0: okay all right so you add vasopressin and it seems to have some effect they're able to wean the norepinephrine uh, but pretty soon they're titrating it back up again now you're again maxed on your uh, levifed as well as your vasopressin
1: okay it's hmm.
0: 2 a.m you're not thrilled about any of this but no. you gotta do something.
1: Yeah. So what does his surgical site look like?
0: So it's his surgical site looks like a huge pile
1: of gauze. Okay. We closed the They they Cl- said they they
0: closed it up, they put a little JP drain in, which has not really put much out, um, and you haven't seen the thing since he came out because the entire thing is dressed.
1: Okay. Um any signs of um uh, spreading infection on this hand or arm where it's not dressed
0: yeah you know you look at the more proximal arm that you're able to see and um it looks perhaps similar to before maybe that area of of kind of redding red rash has has darkened some as well um but it's all just it's kind of hard to assess to be honest
1: okay so i think i would at least touch base with the surgery team and say, you know, listen, here's what's happening. He's getting more and more sick, um, maxed on two pressers now. Um, you know, do, how do you feel about source control? Um,
0: okay. So um, you run that up the chain, and uh, they're going to talk to their attending. Meanwhile, uh, his maps are down to the 40s or so. What's your next move, human dynamically?
1: Gosh, so... Um, I would probably grab the echo again look at his heart and see if he could benefit from some inotropy because at this point I'm thinking maybe he needs a little epinephrine added okay um, so
0: his uh, his contractility looks eh, grossly okay um, it's not too different from what you saw you know perhaps mildly depressed but not terrible are mm. you a uh, are you a doppler like a VTI kind of guy you do you quantify things or you just eyeball them
1: Typically just eyeball.
0: Okay. Well, that's sort of what you see. It looks perhaps similar to how it's been.
1: Okay. Um, And he's not responding to fluid anymore?
0: Nah. You try a little more of a bolus, but it doesn't seem to help much.
1: Okay. Um, Have cultures grown anything yet?
0: No. uh, You know, in your shop, you wouldn't really expect them to, at least until maybe late in this next day here.
1: Okay. Um, So one thing that I don't think we've done in a while is uh, to send an ABG. Okay. Um, check his lactate and see kind of where he is acid base status wise. Sure.
0: So you you send those off and the lactate is uh, it's up to four point two now, um, okay. and his ABG shows uh, an acidosis with a pH of seven point two three and his CO two is forty and his PO two is one hundred fifty on forty percent oxygen.
1: Okay. Is this, a, is this a metabolic acidosis or? It looks like
0: it. Yeah, the bicarb okay. is uh, uh, fifteen.
1: Okay. Um, you said his pH was seven point two. Yeah, seven two three. Okay. Um, so at this point, I think I would consider giving him a little bit of bicarb. Um, All right. so I'm what's not your a...
0: flavor here? Do you you, you push amps of this stuff? Do you? Yeah,
1: I'd probably give him an amp. Um, okay. I'm not a huge um give bicarb kind of guy but when you've got an acidosis that's this much out of whack uh and you're it's affecting your blood pressures and your pressors um i think i think a little bit of bicarb to see if that helps things uh, okay is a, is a beneficial idea
0: so you push an a bicarb and you uh you get a call from the surgical team and they're uh they're saying listen um we're just not sure we they're going to come up to the bedside and um the attending turns up and says, you know, I don't know. Uh, it looked okay at the time. Clearly he looks sicker now. Maybe he needs to go back to the OR. Um, why don't we watch it for half an hour more, see if you can get him a little more resuscitated so he's more stable for some surgery, and then maybe we'll go and explore him again.
1: Okay. Um, any other labs? Uh, I guess we'll send a full panel of labs and make sure there's nothing else going on.
0: Yeah. There's... um. Not too much that's new, except that his uh, his kidney injury looks to be worse. His creatinine is now two point four, um, and otherwise, not too much that's different. Okay. So his MAP is now uh, about forty. And the nurses are going, "What do we do?"
1: Sure. So and so we're maxed on two pressers, and we've got we and he's really no longer fluid responsive. Right. Uh, H&H is fine. Yeah. Need blood. Um, Your nurse says, uh,
0: do you want to add epinephrine? Dopamine? Put, oh, I have, I still have this bag of phenylephrine here. Uh, you want some albumin? Steroids? <laughs> they, they, they're uh, like a drug dealer. They got a coat and they've got all this stuff there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they do too. If they've got albumin and steroids there, they've clearly, uh, circumvented my pharmacist. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think I think is not a bad idea. All right,
0: and you um, you kind of putter around for a few more minutes, and you give a little bit more fluid. You tweak your pressers, and his pressure comes up a little bit, and eventually the surgical team comes back, and you're getting towards the end of your shift now, and they get in touch with this patient's decision-maker, which is their family. And they say, listen, um, I think if he's going to live, he probably needs more surgery, and probably we're going to have to amputate at least the hand. Um, and the family says, listen, I don't think that he would want that. You know, Based on where he's been functionally and what he needs, I, I, I don't think that's something he would want as far as an outcome. So they decline any further surgery, and um, you uh, decide that... Uh, signing off is the better part of Valor and you give us off to the next shift and what you hear later is that things kind of continued on this pattern uh, with escalating doses of pressors and um, several hours into the next shift uh, he has a cardiac arrest and dies so any thoughts about any of that in general
1: um, well I mean I hate to sound negative but I think that was almost an inevitable outcome okay so a bad disease yeah well, when you look at these these necrotizing soft tissue infections, they often get. Like I said, this is why we put them in the ICU to begin with. They often get really bad, really fast, um, and if you're not jumping on top of it, um, they often have bad outcomes.
0: Yeah. So if you know, we kind of go back to the textbooks. Um, you know, not to build any false suspense here this was a necrotizing soft tissue infection uh necrotizing Mm -hmm. fasciitis as it would often be called the important diagnostic points i think are that early on if you catch these early they're often not that clinically obvious because this is a deep infection right it's not a cellulitis it's a deep fascial infection down in the fascial plane so on the skin they may not look like much they just have this really disproportionate amount of pain Now, if you see it later, and this guy presented late because he didn't come in early, um, you have more of the characteristic rash, and this is usually described as this darker, sort of violaceous rash, meaning violet or purple, uh, bullous often, so superficial bullae, and if you see some drainage, either from a a bullae or from like a a sinus tract, uh, it's got this kind of thin, dishwatery appearance to it, not so much pus-like, more dirty water. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, It is a hard diagnosis, like you said. So there is at least one decision score out there, uh, the LRINEC score, L-R-I-N-E-C. I've never met anyone who knows quite how to pronounce it, but uh, you can pop it into Google, and we'll give you a link in the notes here as well. Most of it, I think, is the obvious. It's kind of just the picture of how sick the patient is. A couple of the things that are not as frank are uh, hyponatremia. A patient with a low sodium supports the diagnosis. And also hyperglycemia. Of course, any patient with an infection may be hyperglycemic, but particularly here. Um, And then imaging, I think you described it well. Uh, It's kind of a supportive role. If you do see some air under the skin, that is uh, somewhat specific for the diagnosis, but not very sensitive. So if you don't see it, you're kind of back where you were. And I guess it's a little like Dopplering the legs for DVTs when you're worried about a PE. You know, if you see a clot, that's great. If you don't see one, not much help. But really, at the end of the day, this is a diagnosis you got to make with a high level of clinical suspicion and with surgical exploration. So you're never going to know for sure unless they go to the OR and they go digging and they get down to the fascial plane and they'll start to discover some of this drainage and this kind of necrotic sloughing tissue. Um, now, if the patient's really sick, they can be explored at the bedside. This is at least described in the literature. Make a little mini incision and take a look with the caveat that it can be a somewhat patchy infection, and they may miss the spot if they're not broad enough. So I think most surgeons would prefer to go to the OR. And then they just go off, and uh, if they find these findings, then they need aggressive debridement, and often they need to go back in a day or two uh, as the infection kind of completes itself. So, you know, what are the kind of diagnostic learning points here? I think The most important one is to be really suspicious and treat it as a a true surgical emergency. And this is one of those diseases where you probably need to have some degree of over triage to avoid missing them. Um, Probably ideally a patient like this would come to the ER and go straight to the OR even if no one's 100% sure about it. And then if it looks okay in there then great, but if not then they got early source control. Activities like putting in lines and other things should be kind of at the mercy of that, so hopefully not holding up source control. Antibiotics are a little tricky. You know, you should be covering MRSA, and you should be covering for anaerobes. So our kind of typical big gun regimen of, like, vancomycin and piperacillin Tasabactam is, is solid, uh, but probably we should usually be adding clindamycin as well. So this is... Not so much for added coverage because you've got pretty good anaerobic coverage from your zosin. Um, it's more for toxin suppression. Clinda has this effect of suppressing the overwhelming toxin release, mostly for group A strep infections, which you know is kind of the maybe the classic necrotizing fasciitis. A lot of these are actually polymicrobial. But, um, I think the most classic ones are monomicrobial with maybe strep or maybe a clostridial infection. Um, so in those cases, the Clinda may be helpful. And the only other thought, and I think you were getting at this is in a patient who could have a Vibrio infection, Vibrio vulnificus, um, this is your, like your fish finger, you know, someone who was playing with marine life or, uh, you know, a fishmonger or something, that's where Vibrio lives, you might need to add doxycycline there because you actually won't be covering that with your regular antibiotics. Right. Other than that, you know, a lot of supportive care. Um, there is talk of using IVIG. Uh, there's been kind of mixed data on that. It may help, again, suppress toxins and maybe fight the infection. But the, the most recent data, and we'll link this as well, seems to suggest that there's not benefit there. So I think you could go either way, but you're not hurting someone by uh, omitting it. There's also talk about hyperbaric therapy, which I, I think there's some data for, but a really sick patient like this, even if you had the right setting for it and there's not too many hyperbaric chambers out there, locking them in a, a big iron vault where you can't get at them is probably not going to be conducive to their care
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, one other little oddity is that there's some data if you give these patients NSAIDs whether it's your ibuprofen your ketorolac, whatever it, it may worsen their outcome it seems like it on a cellular level it can feed the infection so often there's contraindications to NSAIDs anyway but something probably worth avoiding and then finally and probably most importantly like you said these are bad diseases, and the mortality is really high anyway. So, you know, you do what you can by treating them really aggressively and getting ahead of it, but if it goes badly, you don't have to think that it was your fault. Sometimes it just happens. They ha- mm-hmm. they come out of nowhere. It can be a spontaneous wound. They progress very quickly, and they often don't do well.
1: No, I think that's a good summary of it. I think this is a – depending on who you talk to, this is a rare sort of thing. Um, I have talked to people who say – uh, it's not really as rare as you think. We see it all the time, depending on your setting, et cetera. Uh, but like you said, it's, it's something that um, the, the majority, of the, uh, the majority of, the, of the problem is in the diagnosis, right? Once you get it diagnosed, management of it is actually pretty straightforward. Um, in this case, obviously, it became a more complicated presentation that developed into a more systemic sepsis. Uh, but but management of the infection itself is is pretty straightforward if you catch it early and diagnose it, and that's the tricky part. Um, I think like you said, hyperbaric, um, IVIG, all these things have been sort of proposed, but there's not real good data that shows that they're especially helpful. Uh, and like you said, especially with like hyperbaric, uh, you know we have a hyperbaric chamber. It's right next to our ED. Um, but a lot of places these are, in other buildings even right they're not they're not even in the main hospital um and if that's if you have it at all um and you know the little experience i have with patients in the hyperbaric chamber is pretty terrifying because you're like you said you're locking them in and the pressure's up and if they code well they're probably not going to survive because you can't just turn the thing off and open the door to run a code you have to decompress them slowly uh so it makes me nervous putting anybody who's legitimately sick in a hyperbaric yeah
0: i think that would probably only be for a a much more kind of localized or mild case where it's a bad wound perhaps but systemically they're doing quite well but i don't know how you would know that that's how it's going to progress i mean maybe if they get sicker in a couple hours like this case
1: right and i think that's the thing you know these things these cases um typically do get very sick very fast um, and that's why you know it sounds weird to say I got a guy with finger pain. I want to admit him to the ICU, um, but as you se- as we've seen in this scenario here, this this is something that can turn into uh, systemic sepsis and shock really quickly, uh, and in the course of a few hours, this guy went from I have some finger pain to dying.
0: Yeah, and that and that I think is why it may be a, a really good example of this this type of situation where you just need to have your suspicion tuned up from the from the get-go. If you just go by kind of your usual principles and how the patient is looking, you're probably going to get behind it. If you come in with your antenna up because you're you're freaking out that this could be neck fash, then you have at least a, a chance of getting ahead of the eight ball on it. Um, even if everyone around you is going, what's the big deal? Because, I mean, the there are just these occasional clinical situations where you need to see what's kind of hidden under the surface, you know, the pitfalls that are lurking there. I think this is one of them.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, like you said, certainly don't want to delay surgery for putting in lines or or even for tests, confirmatory tests, right? We talked about CT scan. Uh, If it's between I can take them to the OR right now or we can do a CT scan, go to the OR. Uh, It's going to be better um, in the long run anyway, not only because it's faster, but you're going to be able to directly visualize it. Um, I've never done this in my practice, but Jacob Avila over at 5-Minute Sano has a really nice little video clip on using ultrasound uh, to sort of suss these out from cellulitis uh, and other soft tissue things. Um, So that's something that maybe folks want to take a look at.
0: Yeah, there are descriptions in the literature of using ultrasound. I think, especially to pick up that sub air again, right. uh, I haven't done it myself, but yeah, it's, it's, it's out there. And I think it's, like you said, there's always a temptation probably to try to get more tests. If you have this, you have this thought, but the patient looks okay. You don't want to go too crazy on it, but at some point you just have to bite the bullet and make the call. Cause more tests are, you know, probably unlikely to be really convincing and it's just going to push the clock back farther. Right. All right. Any final thoughts on that, Brian?
1: No, I think it's an interesting case, and it's something that maybe you're going to see. Maybe you'll never see it, but uh, if you see it, hopefully your antenna will pick up because you heard uh, heard a case discussion about it.
0: All right. Well, very strong work. Uh, Next time, you can put me through the ringer. Um, All right. Let's do it again soon.